0: God is here. Let's pray together. Lord God, you hear our voice. You hear our prayer as we seek that thing that that you know will be the catalyst for life transformation. To lift you above all else in our life. And the beauty, Lord, is that you seek to lift us up. To pull us up out of the pain and the brokenness that we've experienced in our life and heal us and transform us into your hands and feet to the world that is filled with despair and discouragement and that we can actually be a voice of encouragement and that we can lift others up. By your power, God, we pray that the words that we hear today would be your words, that we would receive those words deep in our soul and that we would understand them and we would respond. We praise you, God, for all that you've done. And all that you're going to do, we pray this in Jesus' holy name, and all God's people said, "Amen, please have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. You guys are beautiful. I just want to say that. Beautiful, beautiful Sunday. Uh, today we are starting our 40 days actually, let me try that again. you guys are beautiful. you guys just say, "I know. You guys are beautiful." Ah, that's what I want to hear. So 40 days of prayer is starting. Today, that means that 40 days from now, actually 43 days from now, will be Easter, and we'll have people out on the lawn that we've never met before, that, that maybe we're praying for right now, that would experience God's goodness in a new way. 40 days of prayer, that's a lot of prayer. I don't know if you can handle that. I, haven't, I have not never been to the gym for 40 days in a row in my life. That's like, there's a very few things in my life that I've actually done for 40 days in a row. Um, but God will be faithful, even as we stumble through this series And the the, the reality is that God has a challenge in front of you that is greater than any challenge you've ever experienced. And a lot of you are saying, please, no, thank you, God. I don't want that because you know the challenges you've already experienced. But God has a bigger challenge in front of you. And what will be happening through this series is that we will be preparing our hearts for the hardest times and the hardest challenges and for the opportunities where we can rise and step up um, in big ways because God is giving us that power. And so today, we're going to start at a a sobering moment and at a sobering question. And the question is one that you probably already know the answer to, but we're going to dig deep on that question. And the question is, what needs fixing in your life? Whoa. Now, I don't mean like, you know, uh, that you don't fold the laundry or that you, you know, that you don't hang your shirts the right direction or those kinds of things. That's not the kind of fixing that I'm talking about. I'm talking about what needs fixing. You know what it is. Most of us know what it is. And the reality is the response to this question is usually a superficial one. It's one that, that we see on the outside. We, we think, hey, you know what? This is the thing that needs fixing. And we usually uh, identify a symptom. Do you know what a symptom is? So a symptom would be you go to the doctor and you say, hey, you know what? I have a sore throat. And the doctor says, here, let's, let's deal with that symptom. The doctor gives you aspirin and then later finds out that you've had cancer in your throat right? So that wasn't very helpful. That, by the way, don't go to that doctor if that's the doctor that you have. But that's the reality is usually they start to deal with the symptoms. We all do that. We all start to address the symptoms before discovering what the underlying cause is. What is that thing that is causing us to be broken in the first place? And so that's what we're going to dig down at. And I want you to, if you have brought the books with you or if you have a piece of paper, I want you to write down that question, what needs fixing in my life, and because I don't think the answer is going to be the same every single day, and I don't think that it's going to, um, it's going to, be, uh, it's going to be simple for you to answer. And so what, is, what needs fixing in your life? That's a question that I want you to start to ask and, 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 and study. And I believe that the scripture we're looking at today is going to speak into that powerfully. Now, last week, our preview to 40 days of prayer, which we are experiencing along with Rick Warren, who's the pastor at Saddleback Church. He's provided us with this curriculum, him and his great team. Uh, this, this series is uh, started with this story of Hannah last week. 3,000 years ago, or 4,000 years ago, Hannah is without children. She can't have children. She's being bullied. She's been told that she's not worth anything. And so she goes to God and she prays. She, she, she crumples, she cries, and she bows down before God. And she says, God, if you would give me a son, she's specific about the prayer. If you would give me a son, then I will take that son. And this is a big bargain. I will take that son and I will give him as soon as he can walk, as soon as he's able to, you know, basically move without a mom, uh, then he's going to be in the care of the priest at the temple. And so she did that. And, but before she received the answer to prayer that God did bless her with a child, with a son, before she received that answer to prayer even, as she emerged from prayer, she had joy. She had self-worth. She discovered her worth. She was no longer putting up with the world, telling her that she was a woman who was not worth anything. Powerful. Transformation. It's amazing what can happen through the power of prayer. Today we're looking at what happened to Samuel. Samuel. We're happening, what happened to this boy that was dropped off at the temple and now has a dad that's the priest? The, his adopted dad is the priest of the temple whose name is Eli. And Samuel in this scripture is about 12 years old. He's about 12 years old. That's what we assume. Uh, the scripture doesn't say it outright, but we're guessing that's the age that he was. And um, And it starts with this description. It says these words. By the way, Samuel, I love the name Samuel that Hannah gave him. It's I prayed and I asked God for him. Uh, actually, Samuel's name means answer to prayer. Isn't that awesome? Um, so now it says these words about Samuel, the 12-year-old boy. Now the boy Samuel was serving under the Lord, was serving the Lord under Eli. He was a servant of the Lord under Eli. The Lord's word was rare at that time, and visions weren't widely known. What does this sentence mean? What does it Does it mean that they didn't have the story of God or the truth of who God was? No. It just means that their whole society was broken, that everybody needed fixing. It was rampant. In fact, Eli's true two sons were the worst worst people of the whole community. They were uh, in line to become priests, and they they were the sexual transgressions in the temple and at the temple. They were robbing from the temple. It was just... It was really a symptom. It was a brokenness, a terrible brokenness that was going on in the whole nation. The whole nation was ruined. And that's what the scripture is saying. It's starting with that place of brokenness, saying, okay, let's set the table. This conversation begins with the truth, the honest truth, that, that there is real, deep, terrible brokenness going on. And that's the brokenness that Samuel uh, was given over to in the temple. And so the only shining light in there is that Eli is caring for Samuel as his son because he sees that Samuel, there's hope, whereas his other two sons, it's gone. And then um, it goes on to say these words, One day Eli, whose eyes had grown so weak, he's so old, whose eyes had grown so weak he was unable to see, was lying down in his room. This tells us that Samuel was the caretaker for Eli. He wasn't just the, the son, but he was the one who would run and help Eli when he needed help or, or, or to assist him in any way that was needed. And then it goes on to say these words, God's lamp had not yet gone out. What does that mean? That means that it was about three o'clock in the morning. So, so the lamps would be refueled in the mornings. So when the lights were about to go out, when the, when the fires of the temple were about to go out, that was right before dawn, or even earlier, probably about three o'clock in the morning. And it says, And Samuel was lying down in the Lord's temple where God's chest was. Not God's chest, like this, right? The Ark of the Covenant that held the Ten Commandments, this big box, this chest, that had the very stone tablets that God had written God's law into and Moses brought down from the mountain, and that the Israelites had carried throughout the wilderness for 40 years. This is the chest that they're talking about. Now, there's two, two thoughts on this. One thought is that Samuel was actually lying down near the, near the Ten Commandments, near the ark. That, that's fine. It could have been the case. Can you imagine that? But there's other theologians who believe that wouldn't have been possible, that Samuel was in the proximity of the, ark, of the Ark of the Covenant, and he was probably in his bedroom, and the Ark was in the temple. The fun thing about the Bible is there, it doesn't tell us all the details, so you can you can't imagine some things. You can determine. So it's up to you. You decide what you want to think was happening. But, but it does tell us that, that Samuel was growing up near the Ark of the Covenant. Isn't that amazing? He was growing up near this great history and these great stories. It, it, I mean, there, there's so many people here who would just love to be given that privilege and that opportunity to gaze upon that chest that held the law of the Ten Commandments. What an awesome thing. And so Samuel's living in this experience, and it says these words that at three in the morning, the Lord called to Samuel, and Samuel said, I'm here. Then Samuel hurried to Eli and said, I'm here. You called me. And Eli replied, and I'm going to kind of impose like a very grumpy voice on Eli, because that's what I would be at three in the morning if some kid ran into my bedroom. So I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go lie down. So he did. Last, Last night, it was at three in the morning. My son, right? At three in the morning, he yells across the house, mom. I mean, mom. He's three years old, right? He's three. So mom, dad, <laughs> and, and you know what we said? Go to bed. <laughs> We're so compassionate, aren't we? Just go to bed. Go back to sleep. It's three in the morning. <laughs> so, so no, that's, I, that's honestly, I think what Eli was saying. He's saying, I did not call you. I'm 95 years old. Would you please go back to your bed, Samuel? It's full of energy. And then, um, and then it says in verse six, again, the Lord called Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, I'm here, you called me. Do you think the Lord is just having a a little joke right here? Like, just like loving this? Like, this is going to be funny. But Eli doesn't think it's funny. (laughs) And Eli says again, I didn't call. And then this is, is this a loving or a sarcastic my son, right? My son, (laughs) Eli replied, go and lie down. Would you go to bed, please? Oh yeah, it's going to happen again. Now, by the way, interjection here by the person who's writing this, they want you to know that Samuel, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the Lord's word hadn't been revealed to him. See, he'd heard about God, he knew about God, he'd heard the stories of God, of course he had. But he didn't have that 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 thing that that's called faith. He didn't have faith in God. That that mustard seed that Jesus says, Jesus says all we need is a mustard seed, but we do need faith. That we do need that little bit of certainty. That little bit of assurance that says, yes, I believe in God and I'm stepping out in this way. Samuel hadn't had that yet. He hadn't experienced that yet. I think that they're telling us he's about to, don't you think? It says these words in verse 8. A third time the Lord called Samuel. Now, Now God is really playing a joke on Eli. He got up and went to Eli. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, I'm here. You called me, right? Then Eli realized that it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, and this is what I, if you have your Bibles open, or if you're wanting to write something down from today's message, these are the words. Speak, Lord, Davar is the Hebrew, and Lord is Yahweh, Yahweh, or they would have said Adonai because God's name is so holy that they would never have pronounced God's name. So instead they would have said Adonai. Speak, Davar." Lord, Adonai, speak Lord, your servant, your servant is listening, which is the word Shema. Your servant is sh- is listening, or Shema. It's, it's actually a really important moment because um, and we're going to get back to it because there's a shift there because Eli is saying remember, remember Samuel, you are God's servant. You're God's servant. Now, Then it goes on to say, So Samuel went and he lay down where he'd been. And then the Lord came and stood there calling just as before, Samuel, Samuel. The one who was prayed for. The one who was prayed for. The one who's a miracle baby, right? Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, your servant is Shema." is listening i love that samuel is an obedient servant i love that he gets up and he runs he's not like me when my son calls out in the night i don't jump up out of bed and say what 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 would you like you know because i know that three nights ago he did that and he just said uh is everything okay you know <laughs> right i start to lose a little bit of a, a little steam on that one and so instead i yell across go to bed no Samuel's the kid who hears, he thinks, Eli saying, Samuel. So he runs. And then when Eli says it's not him, and Samuel's thinking, this guy's definitely getting delusional. He's getting a little too old, right? He goes back, but then again, he thinks he hears Eli's voice again and again and again. Four times, Samuel runs to Eli. He says, What? I'm here. Anything you, not, anything you need at all, I'm here. But the the, the beautiful moment is when Eli transitions that servanthood to the Lord. Eli is saying, Samuel, move that obedience and say to God, your servant is listening. Your servant is listening. Now, this is the question I think that gets at the heart of the brokenness. It's tied to the brokenness question, is where do you get your fix? Where do you get your fix? Because you know what? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of Eli's. There's a lot of Eli's in this world, aren't there? What's your Eli? What's the thing that you have obedience to? What's the thing that you are the servant to that, that, that is inhibiting your ability to be the number one servant of God, to put God as your number one? Now, other people have their fix. Some people's fix is their career. You know people like that? Have you ever seen that? It's easier to think of other people, so let's talk about other people for a minute, okay? (laughs) Some people have uh, their career as their fix. Some people have chemicals as their fix. Some people have um, tons of things as their fix, right? Money, achievement, awards, acolyte, attention, anything. Exercise, whatever it is. We're all servants to something in our life before we we become servants of the Lord. Before God, and it's not to say those things aren't blessings. Those things are wonderful. And this whole time of Lent is about saying, you know what, God, I'm going to put you number one. I'm going to take that thing that's my fix. That's why I always talk about giving up coffee or giving up salt or giving up something. It's about saying, God, you know what, or giving up work, giving up some bit of work. Not all of it. (laughs) But saying, God, you know what, I'm going to put you number one. I'm going to place you number one in my life. Family can be a fix, by the way. Kids can be a fix, as you're the servant of your kids. Cooking for your family can be a fix, I'm sorry, I wasn't looking at anyone in particular, but I'm just thinking. Of all the things that we, we place as our fix, and, and that, that, that can actually be a hindrance, even though God intended for it to be a blessing. And so the question is, what is your fix? And what the Bible says our fix should be is Jesus. We should be like the Jesus groupies, right? Jesus fan club. Our number one fix Our number one fix is is God and that relationship with God that we have. And suddenly, there's a transformation that takes place. Now, I hear a lot of people say, is God really speaking in my life? Is God really speaking? That's one of the first questions that people have, and it's the question that people will ask every single day of their journey through faith with Jesus Christ. Every day, they'll say, is that God's voice? Is that, is that God speaking in my life? I've had people who are uh, career professionals. Uh, I mean, not that they're, you know, pastors aren't any holy year, you know me. Uh, uh, but, but they're career professionals. They study the word of God. They do everything. They try to devote their hearts and minds and souls. And you know what they say? I just don't know what God's calling me to do. Isn't that amazing? It means that we're always trying to discern what God's voice is in our life. We're all just trying to figure out what that is. And I don't think that Samuel's alone in that. But there's a couple of things that happen in this scripture that are really, really important. And the first is that Samuel hears God's voice. Does he have a hard time hearing God's voice? No. He hears it, right? But does he understand it? No. But is he obedient to it? He says he will be. He says he will be. And we know from the story of Samuel that he is. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, the word listening is shema, and I want to unpack that word for you because I think it's a really, really important word in the scripture. Shema ha- is, is, you see the right here where it has the letters? Uh, these are the Hebrew characters, and they're led, read from right to left. So shh, mm, that is nothing. So you put the vowels or something that we insert. We actually don't know. Isn't it interesting? Uh, even modern-day uh, spoken Hebrew, we don't actually Know what Hebrew was spoken like. We've kind of inserted vowels that fit. Does that make sense? So, because the vowels aren't written into the language. So, this is shem, shema, shema. But it means listen. It means actually what it really means is it means three things to hear, to understand, and to obey. So, that means the prayer that, that Eli was teaching to Samuel is the same prayer that we can be taught today. The priest Eli is teaching Samuel, he's saying, this is what you need to say when you hear God's voice. You need to say, speak Adonai, speak Lord, for your servant is Shema. Your servant isn't just hearing, your servant isn't just just understanding, but your servant is obeying as well. It's all three combined. There's no delineation, especially when it comes from God. It's a beautiful word, and actually every single little boy and little girl and old man and old woman, every single person of the Jewish faith for all of these years has always prayed the Shema in the morning and in the evening. They've written it on their doorposts and in some shape form or other they put it on their foreheads because that's what they were told to do in scripture. That actually prayer was built in and the Shema is a specific scripture. It's a specific prayer that was communicated to the people of Israel and it's this Shema here Understand and obey. Shema, O Israel, right? Which means, Israel means one who struggles with God. Can you raise your hand if you're struggling with God? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Raise your hand. I'm putting my hand up. Oh, that's okay. You're like, my arm hurts. <laughs> I'm really struggling with God right now. One who struggles, listen, one who struggles with God. Shema, Israel. Yisrael. And then it goes on to say, the Lord, your God, Adonai, Yahweh, is one it's an uncertainty thing it's a return to faith why do they say it every morning and every evening because they need to articulate it they need to speak it and they need to be reminded of it and then it goes on to say these words love the lord god does it sound familiar love the lord god with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength awesome with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. We tend to leave off the first part, right, when we say this. We tend to leave off the Shema, Israel, the Lord, your God, is one. Every single day, that's what, that's what the Jewish people recite. And this is a prayer. This is a prayer that I think that as a congregation, we could, if you're looking for a prayer practice, you're like, gosh, I wish you'd give me some practical prayer practice. This is it say the Shema. And when you say the word Shema, recognize what you're saying. I want to hear. I want to understand. And I want to obey. That's the spirit for entering into prayer. Now it goes on to say in, in Romans, another book in the New Testament, it says this. It says, so faith comes from listening. Or the word that would have been spoken in, in Hebrew is faith comes from Shema, right? What's so if you want to have more faith over the next 40 days, then you're going to experience more Shema. And the way to experience Shema is to, to, to engage in it and to listen to what God has to say to you. Wow, so faith comes from listening, but it's listening by means of Christ's message placed Jesus right at the center of that Shema. Say, like, oh God, I want more faith. I want a Shema. I want to have understanding. I want to hear it and I want to obey it. I love it. Uh, this is this is um, some a beautiful um, scripture from the book of James, and it says these words: "You must be doers of the word and not only hearers who mislead themselves." Can you see the people who are not really listening? Those who hear but don't do the word are like those who look at their faces in a mirror. Raise your hand if you look at your face in a mirror. Anybody? All right. So he's talking to you. All right, <laughs> me too. They look at themselves, walk away, and immediately forget what they were like. Right. You know what that is? That's someone who looks in the mirror and they go, gosh, I look pretty grumpy. Let me smile a little bit. And then they walk away and what are they? They're grumpy again. They just forget. They have no self-awareness. They have no ability to understand what they, who they are, what their brokenness is, what it is that needs fixing in their life, and they're always missing the mark. He says those people, those people who hear but that don't understand, those people who don't do, that aren't obedient, those people who, sh- they're not really shema. They're not doing that. But there are those, the scripture says, who study the perfect law, the law of freedom, and continue to do it. What is the perfect law? The law of freedom. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Study Jesus Christ. Follow Jesus Christ. Put your heart on Jesus Christ. There, it says there are those who, people who do, who follow Jesus Christ, the way. Jesus says, I am the way. If you're looking for the fix, Jesus says, I am the fix. If you don't believe that Jesus is who he said he is, then, then I don't really know what to say. C.S. Lewis either said Jesus is either who he said he was or he was a pathological liar. You have to make that decision in your life. Who is Jesus? Jesus said he was the way, the truth, the life. And it says these words. They don't listen and then forget, these people who follow Jesus. But they put into practice in their lives. They will be blessed in whatever they do. I love what Jesus said. Every time he would give a little parable or a story to people, he would say these words. If he who has ears, or the person who has ears, let them hear. Who's that? Anybody want to raise? Are you sick of raising your hands? I can guess. I like to say, but raise your hand if you have ears. You're like, I'm not doing that stupid. So Jesus is saying, Jesus, what Jesus is saying, you can hear something that's being said, but, you, but there's a difference between hearing and understanding and obeying. There's a, there's a difference between hearing and shema. And Jesus is welcoming us into an experience of Shema so when when we engage in prayer, we can have Shema. And do you know what happened in Samuel's life? A breakthrough. Samuel's life changed. Samuel ended up becoming the priest. After 20 years, he ended up leading the whole nation of Israel um, back to faith again. The greatest challenges of his life were in front of him. He probably thought the greatest challenges of his life had already happened, that just being a miracle baby was enough. He probably thought the greatest challenges of his life was just dealing with that dysfunctional family and the terrible, terrible um, religious institution that he grew up with that was tearing his life apart. He probably thought the greatest challenge of his life was saying goodbye to Eli when he was getting older and he was passing on. No. Samuel's greatest challenge was in front of him. I love the story of Samuel. You know that he, he go, the words that God speaks into his heart that morning are that, that the nation is going to fall apart. And he goes, and Eli says, I, I love, I love what, what the scripture says. It says that after, after Samuel heard this, he just lay there all morning. Have you ever done that? Just lay, and he just lay there in, the, in that space until the morning came, just thinking about it. And then Eli says, what did, what did the Lord say to you? And Samuel said, this is all falling apart. It's over. It's gonna crumble, because why? Because we've been looking at the symptoms because there's been A lot of people that have, have tried to build their life around get self-help, who've tried to build their life around all these other things, athletics, diet, whatever else it is in life. And he said, you've got to put the Lord as number one. And that's what Samuel did. He preached about that. He spoke about that to the nation of Israel. And, and, and their, their nation came alive in a new way. And this, before all that happened, the ark actually ends up getting stolen. Sorry, spoiler alert. You should just read it yourself. But the ark gets stolen. The ark gets stolen. And, and it goes away. And um, it's gone for a time. And then Samuel, Samuel and, and, and his leadership and that era is the era when it comes back. And there's a return and a restoration but it's not, because, it's not because they say, hey, you know what, we've got to get the ark back. It's because Samuel says we've got to get God back to the center of our life. We've got to put God as number one. And when God is number one, then everything else changes and transforms. And by the way, I don't want to tell you that, I don't want to set you up for failure and say, oh, if you say yes to God today, that everything is going to get better in your life right away. One pastor once said that everything's probably going to get a lot worse in your life if you say yes to God. Because then you start to realize all the other stuff that's broken because the light's shining but like a great work of art that takes time to be restored, God just works on it one little piece at a time. But By the way, if you have a great work of art and you notice that it's getting kind of dim and dull, kind of like the, the flame that was flickering out of the temple, don't take a sandblaster to clean it, okay? That's my suggestion. What's the way to do it? Gently, with just a little soft brush, one little step at a time, very, very, very delicately. That's what God's doing in our life. God wants full restoration. He wants to restore you to fullness and life and vitality like you've never experienced before. And why? So that you can experience greater challenges, so that you can experience God's glory and goodness in ways you've never thought possible before. And so that in the future, you can find yourself saying that prayer that maybe will become familiar to you. Maybe you'll say it every day, just like like Jesus would have done when he was a little boy. Shema Yisrael. Oh, the Lord God, yeah, Adonai, or Yahweh, is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what is the, the peace that, that Jesus illuminates to the world? That it's not about us, is it? See, if, see, if we're here and the, the, the purpose about what we're doing is, is for us, then, then we lose all of it see what Jesus calls us to do is something beyond ourselves to live for God and to live for others to love our neighbor as ourself that's the perfect law that's what James is talking about in the scripture he's saying those people who follow the perfect law who are servants not just of God but others those people are the ones who experience vitality and freedom like none other and they only do it let I me mean, take the weight off your shoulders for a minute they only do it by God's power it's up to God it really is God is the one who gives us faith. God is the one who who transforms us, and, and He does it in these places of Shema. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for what you've done in the heart of this congregation today. Thank you for the way in which your Spirit is healing hearts and minds. Thank you that that our voice will be starting to speak the word Shema. That we will we will celebrate that you call us into a place of of hearing and understanding and obedience, to live out the word that we've heard today. We praise you for all you're gonna do in the coming 40 days, that you will, you, will, you will bind us together in new ways, our hearts united as one, our minds, our strength, because you will be at the center and we will be listening. We will be Shema, Lord. We listen for your voice because you're calling every single one of us. You're calling us at night. You're calling us now. You're speaking into our hearts. And Lord, all we have to do is bow down as your servants and say the words Shema. Profess our love for you, God. Just our love that we love you so much. We don't love you with just a part of our being, but all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. And that, that love is not one that can be contained, but it is one where we are sent into a world that does not know how good you are. We praise you, God, that you are you're calling us as a congregation to to be agents of transformation and change. We have the job that the angels wish they had. We get to step out of here on a mission for you, God. We praise you and pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please.